from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. What if we told you about a major breakthrough on awesome savings on all-inclusive beach vacays? OMG, this could break the case. Case? I'm talking about CheapCaribbean.com. It's full of hot savings. At CheapCaribbean.com, score an extra $175 off site-wide on vacations of four nights or more now through June 3rd. Swim up bar in Punta Cana or dip your toes in the sand on the shores of Cancun. We gotta take this show on the road. Start at CheapCaribbean.com. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Hey all, this is Joe, and I have a new podcast, if you haven't heard already. It's me and also my friend Vincent. Say hi, hey, Vince. Hey, what's up? This is Cal Downey. Yeah, and uh, we're presenting an episode of it. You might have heard our first episode last week. Be forewarned, this is not going to be showing up in the sideways feed forever. Yeah. So you need to go out to iTunes, look up The Shocking Details, which is the name of our new podcast. Shocking Details. The Shocking Details. Remember and, it. Yeah, and subscribe. Uh, of course, give us a rating, five stars, and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Featuring Joe from Thinking Sideways Podcast and filmmaker Vincent Caldell, this is The Shocking Details. Hey there. Welcome to another episode of The Shocking Details. I'm Joe, joined as always by... Vincent Caldoni. And we've got another story for you this week. An interesting little story that you probably never heard about. Yeah. And I know it's not Halloween, but really, any time of the year is a good time for a ghost story. Right, Vince? Especially if it's an Arkansas ghost story. Uh, yeah, this is an Arkansas ghost story. This particular story got a lot of national publicity back when it happened. This was yeah. in late 1929, but it's completely dropped into obscurity since. So I, I had never heard of this. When you sent this to me and I heard it was the Arkansas ghost, yeah. I, I, I literally thought it was a different story altogether. Yeah. So but, don't I know this one, but it, it was not the yeah, story that I that yeah. I read. It wasn't just a ghost. It was a ghost trial. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I thought, uh, anyway, we should dredge this story up and uh, shock you all with the gory details. Right. So, let's start at the beginning. Oh, yeah, okay. Please rise. The Honorable Judge Marcus Bone presiding in the trial of these defendants of the murder of Mr. Conrad C. Franklin. Is the state's prosecution present today? Yes, sir. We are present. Is the defense present? Present. Now, is the victim present? I am here. 
In January 1929, a man named Connie Franklin came to the St. James Settlement in Arkansas. That's the town of St. James. Mm-hmm. If you want to know where this town is, uh, it's about 10 miles east of the town of Mountain View, about 75 miles north-northeast of Little Rock, about 110 miles northwest of Memphis, Tennessee. And it's really, it's there today, but it's kind of a white spot in the road, really. Yeah. But it's still there. Uh, but uh, Connie Franklin found himself jobs as a farmhand and a timber cutter. And when he wasn't working, he was known for playing his French harp, also known as the harmonica, or just the harp, uh, mm-hmm. and also for hitting on the local women. Yeah. Which, you know, what else is there to do, right? Yeah. Not much else. Play the yeah. harmonica and talk to the girls. Uh, pretty much. He met a local girl named Tiller Ruminer. Tiller was 16. By the way, Connie was about 22 years old. Right. The two of them hit it off real good. Had a whirlwind romance. And according to Tiller, on March 9th, 1929, Connie proposed marriage and she accepted. Aww. So that is whirlwind. That's like that two is, months. That is really fast. Yeah, it is. But then... Connie Franklin disappeared. A few of the townsfolk noticed, uh, although nobody seemed to think it was exceptionally odd because Connie was, after all, kind of an itinerant farmhand type of guy. Yeah. And there was a lot of that back. This is 1929, you know? Mm-hmm. A lot of people drifted around from odd job to odd job. Oh, definitely. Job. Yeah, yeah, especially in the world of, like, like wheat and stuff. They would, oh, yeah. they would follow the harvest as it as it matured. Absolutely. It did seem a bit odd. Apparently, Connie had left his knapsack behind. Hmm. And his mail was still being delivered to the local post office, which you wouldn't expect. I mean, if he had taken up residence somewhere else, you would think he would have you know, had his mail forwarded, perhaps. Oh, that know. would make sense. Yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, it was just assumed by most everybody that Connie had just drifted out of town the same way he drifted in. And he'd only been there a couple of months after all anyway, right? Right. Right. So he was soon forgotten by most people of the folks in the town, except a few of them found his unannounced departure to be kind of suspect, um, yeah. especially somebody named Bertha Burns, who we'll talk about a little later. She was an armchair detective who got kind of involved in this mystery. Nosy lady. Uh-huh. Yeah. She was uh, She was actually sort of uh, harassing the sheriff on and off about this for months <laughs> after Connie's disappearance. You got to do it if you want stuff done. Yeah, but, uh, of course, you know, just because Bertha is suspicious about something does not mean the sheriff can go arrest somebody. No. Right. What did did Tiller think about this? I mean, she must have had an opinion about him running out of town. Well, yeah, but she wasn't really talking, interestingly enough, until Hmm. until later that year uh, in November 1929. Okay. That is when Tiller finally came forward and told her story. She went to the local sheriff, Sam Johnson, and told him that Connie Franklin had been murdered back in March. She hadn't said anything about it to anybody because the murderers were local guys, night riders, in other words, vigilantes, and they had told her that she and her family would all be killed if she snitched. But eventually, Tiller did decide to snitch, and here is her story. So on March 9th, 1929, Connie and Tiller were on a country road headed to the local Justice of the Peace, Finnis Ford, to get a uh, marriage license. South of St. James, not far from the tiny town of Red Stripe, Arkansas. Love that name. That's a great name. Reminds me of Jamaican beer. Yeah. Uh, They were ambushed by four men. Joe White, Bill Younger, Herman Greenway, and Hubert Hester. Greenway and Hester raped Tiller, and they made her watch while they beat Connie to death with rocks and sticks. It's a hell of a way to go. Yeah, really. Uh, They built a large fire and burned Connie's body. Many of the news articles made reference to mutilation and dismemberment as well, but none of those stories get uh, down to the details of what uh, what got cut off. Yeah, I know. Yeah, what exactly they did to him. It sounds pretty horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. 
And we should note that uh, there's at least one newspaper that said that Connie was unconscious, but still alive when he was put into the fire. Mm-hmm. But whatever. By the time he was all done, he was he was dead. Oh, yeah. And uh, there wasn't much left around but charred bones and, and a few ash. teeth. Yeah. Yeah, those, those ones are hard to get rid of. Uh, Tiller's story was corroborated by Reuben Harrell, a deaf mute guy who happened to be there. He also happened to be Tiller's second cousin. Not sure why he was there or maybe he was tagging along as a witness. To, to the wedding, maybe. Or just stalking. Just stalking. Maybe he was secretly in love with his second cousin. And it was just like, yeah. That happens. Maybe he was a murderer. Yeah. I was hoping we would get to the bottom of what he was up to, but we don't ever really find out, do we? Not really, no. I mean, I guess he could have just been out on the road and it was just a coincidence if it's a rural area. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. but he uh, he gave a uh, written statement to the county prosecutor backing up Tiller's account. His account, by the way, didn't claim that he'd seen the rape or the murder, just that he saw the accused carrying Connie's body through the woods. Yeah. So maybe he uh, was out there moonshining or yeah. something. Yeah, so he saw them carrying a Connie's right. dead corpse. But uh, this is an odd part of the story, though, which is why did, why did these guys spare him? Yeah. Why did they spare Reuben? And did he was he hiding from them, or maybe they thought that he'd never talk? Maybe they threatened him the same way they did Tiller. Um, of course, Reuben actually couldn't talk, but he could still write, which you know, which is how he made his statement. It's it's hard for me to imagine that if there was something like that Reuben went and hid, yeah. right, that he wouldn't have mentioned that. Like, that seems like a detail to me, right, uh, that I would want to include. Like, if I was witness to a murder yeah. and I was giving a statement about what I had seen that day, mm-hmm. I would for sure include why didn't the killer yeah. try to kill me? Well, he might have. I mean, most of the, uh, the accounts of this, this is actually kind of... Um, a lot was written about this in the national press at the time, mm-hmm. but of course, the press being what it is, a lot of, there were there were a lot of distortions, a lot of valuable little details like that got left out about yeah. Reuben. I read a number of accounts that mentioned Reuben and his account. They didn't say exactly why he didn't get killed by the by these guys or whatever. Yep. They didn't say that, and yep. so I you know I really can't say why. So they left out some really good important little details and and yeah. also inserted some probably fictional more salacious details <laughs> to to make the story. A little juicier. No doubt. I mean, that's how they did it back then. A local woman named Bertha Burns, as I mentioned before, took an interest in the Connie Franklin mystery. Mm -hmm. Bertha apparently lived not too far from where Connie had been murdered, and she had found a bloody hat in the woods that she believed was Connie's. Hmm. She showed it to Sheriff Johnson. Sheriff Johnson presented the hat to a grand jury, which declined to indict anybody because, you know, that's not unreasonable. It's it's a bloody hat, after all, and not much else. I I mean, yeah. That blood does get on stuff. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you cut your head for some reason, you might just throw your hat off and be like, I'm not wearing that ever again. Yeah. And actually, if you, as we'll get to a little bit later on the story, there was kind of a not unreasonable explanation for the hat being bloody. Yep. Yeah. So in the summer of 1929... Connie's sister, or at least a young woman claiming to be Connie's sister, came to St. James looking for him. Bertha Burns took this as more evidence that there had been indeed foul play after all. So Mm -hmm. if Connie had simply migrated, surely he would have let his family know where he had gone to. Bertha dug out the bloody hat to show to the sister and then led Sheriff Johnson into the woods near her home to a pile of burnt bones, teeth, and ashes. Mm. This was all that remained of Connie, or at least that's what Bertha believed. She also told the sheriff that she'd heard a scream coming from the area on the night that Connie disappeared, or more likely some time around that time, since Bertha couldn't have actually precisely known which exact night Connie had 
Yeah, that's disappeared. That's a, that is a little puzzling, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. So and so, hearing all this, Tilly Rubiner finally sat down with Sheriff Johnson and told her tale of murder. Mm-hmm. Not long after, of course, Tiller's cousin Ruben submitted his written statement backing her story up. This was finally enough for the grand jury to indict, and they did. Hester, Greenway, White, and Younger were all indicted for murder. Another local named Alex Folks was also indicted, even though Tiller had not mentioned him originally in her story. Apparently, he was accused because he was known to be the ringleader of this little gang. Huh. So, of course, he must have been involved, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's no way he took the night off. Uh, no, of course not. I mean, what else <laughs> was there to do except to go out and with your fellow night riders and have a little fun, right? Sure. Yeah. But it turns out also that Alex Folks and a few of his friends had beaten Bertha Burns' husband a few months prior to this for unknown reasons. These guys were essentially kind of self-designated moral enforcers in the area. Yeah, I was going to yeah. ask what their what their affiliation were. Were they just highway bandits? Were they in the Klan? What was their deal? They were not in the Klan, as far as I know. They were just kind of vigilantes and moral enforcers. And so, if somebody had strayed, somebody had committed theft, or you know, some transgression, they would go administer a little a little frontier justice. Apparently, well, not short, of course, of lynching. Except, you know, I mean, Connie, as far as I know, is the only person that they ever killed. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. But, they would, but yeah, apparently if somebody had transgressed, especially if they transgressed against them personally. Right. Yeah. I'm going to have but, more questions about that later on. Yeah, oh, for <laughs> let's, sure. Let's keep going. Yeah, but, but this this leads to the, the, a question about Bertha Burns and her role in all this. Was she, sure. was she just an armchair detective or was she sort of spearheading a, a way to get back at these people yeah. for attacking her husband and beating him? Well, at the very least, she's got a conflict of interest. Well, a little bit. I would say there's a reason to to wonder exactly about her object, objectivity right. in this whole right. thing. So it's also worth mentioning that the day after Connie's murder or disappearance, our four vigilantes raided the cabin that Tiller Ruminer and her family lived in. They accused Charlie Ruminer, Tiller's father, of theft. Though I can't tell you what she st- what he stole. Yeah. I don't know what he did. Uh, they administered beatings for the entire family for nice. what his father had done. <laughs> nice guys, right? Can you imagine, can you imagine being a kid like at yeah. home, like you're like eating your, your your Cheerios and someone comes to be like, your dad stole from me. Be like, well, that sucks. Ass, start- kid. <laughs> like, what did I do? I'm eight. Uh, these, these are, uh, it should be pointed out too. I mean, this is, it's hard to sort out truth from rumor from, you know, yeah. this whole story. Yeah, this it is. It's a strange story. Um, so they beat the whole family and after that, they took Tiller's brother, Hoyt, with them to work on one of their farms as reparations for Charlie's crime. Whatever that whatever was. That was. Yeah. So it must have been a crime against them. Like, we know that much. Yeah, right? he stole something from one of them, apparently. Right. I don't know. Yeah. So Tiller would later say that they took Hoyt as a hostage to keep her silent about the murder. I guess that sort of halfway makes sense. I mean, yeah. you know, it was we just a day brother. after that whole yeah. thing. Maybe they thought, you know, the threats were not quite enough. Let's That's go, true. Let's that go would be pretty scary. Brother. Yeah. Yeah, just as kind of an insurance policy. I mean, that Maybe. makes sense. It does kind of make sense. Now, remember, all of this happened before there were any serious accusations of murder. Yeah, this happened. Keep with, that in mind. This would have happened in mid-March in 1929. Right. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's flash forward to the trial of Greenway, Hester, White, Younger, and Folks. Yeah. It was all set for December 1929, and local anger toward the accused was running high, so they were being kept in jail cells outside the county for their own protection. Evidence for the prosecution was this. Two witnesses, uh, that would be Tiller and her cousin, the ear witness testimony of Bertha Burns regarding the scream, uh, a bloody hat, and what was left of the body, which was some charred bones and teeth. And, of course, the fact that Connie Franklin was gone, which seemed to kind of point 
towards some sort of foul play, right? The five defendants, however, had been saying since their arrest that no murder had taken place. Connie was not dead, they said. Mm-hmm. Well, in that case, then where was he? Was the obvious question. Nobody knew this. But the case by this time had received statewide publicity, so if Connie was alive, you would think he would have heard about this and come forward, right? Right, right. So, you know, the, the, the prosecution did appear to have some sort of a case then. I mean, well, it uh, wouldn't, would it be beyond. In your opinion, would it be on the pale that Connie could have left the state? Could have went someplace else to work or do whatever? Sure. Not, it's not beyond the realm of possibility. Yeah. I mean, so, but uh, the prosecution seemed to think they had some sort of circumstantial case. An intact body probably would have helped, right? But uh, still, doubts were growing in some quarters as to whether there really had even been a murder. A, yeah. The trial, but... Well, the trial was. Oh. Hold on, Joe. So actually, I I wanted to ask you this when you when you sent me the research material. Yeah. Unless Bertha was lying. Yeah. Someone got murdered. Someone got burned on her property, right? Uh, yeah, or in the woods near her home. I don't yeah. Know if that was her property or not? But okay. It, yeah. it, it appeared. It appeared from the ashes, the bones, the teeth, and everything that somebody had been murdered. Right. I mean, I know this is not forensic. Yeah. You know, like we have today, they didn't probably even have blood typing. Um, Especially if a body's been thoroughly burned and everything. Right. But But I would think that them being a farming community could tell when you're looking at human teeth versus a deer or something, right? Like, Well, you know, and uh, they sent, uh, you know, they wanted to be all official about it. They actually gathered all the evidence up and sent it to the state crime lab to be examined. So somebody is dead. We just don't know if it's Connie. It it appeared that somebody was dead. Okay. But it, it did appear to be that it then, and of course, uh, the, the some more evidence about this comes out a little bit later uh, yeah. about, about the body. But uh, this is now um, beginning of December, mm-hmm. early December. The trial is about to begin, uh, and that is when the ghost of Connie Franklin appeared. Ooh. I know. Ooh, I said it was a ghost story. Yeah. I know. Hey, but I know. The tension, the tension mounts. But before we go any further, time for a quick word from our sponsor. Uh, uh, this week's episode is uh, brought to you by the motion picture Contact E. Directed by Vincent Caldoni. Directed by Vincent Caldoni. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so the movie Contact E is a story about aliens and humans interacting. It is a psychological thriller uh, where you will never be quite sure what is real until the very end, if mm. that at all. Mm. Uh, you can check it out at www.contactemovie.com. Watch the trailer, see stills, and uh, yeah, find out about it. All right, I haven't seen the entire movie yet. I've seen some some parts of it. Yeah, yeah. It's got a cameo from Joe. So. It does. Yeah, I have a little bit part in it, and you'll be happy to know I have my clothes on. Yeah, yeah. Thank God. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that kind of movie, Joe. Oh uh, yeah, I know. Uh, okay, so the five men were about to be tried for the murder of Connie Francis, but then. And said Connie Francis, Connie, Connie Franklin. <laughs> I, I might leave that in. <laughs> Connie Francis. Yeah, now Connie uh, Francis uh, was, was a singer. Yeah, was a good singer. Okay, so the five men were about to be tried for the murder of Connie Franklin. But then one Elmer Wingo from the nearby town of Moralton says Connie Franklin passed through there looking for work a week or so after the alleged murder was supposed to have allegedly taken place. Mm, now, yeah. 
Elmer Wingo was a farmer and Connie Franklin had worked on his farm a few years before. So he would know what Connie looked like, right? Exactly. Yeah. And Arkansas newspapers ran the story along with Connie's photo and the families of the accused also offered rewards for anyone who could find him. And amazingly, Connie Franklin was found. Ding, ding. All it took was a little money to motivate people. Uh, but uh, That trick still works. Yeah, it does. Uh, he uh, was working on a farm in the town of Humphrey, apparently unaware that he had been murdered. He was brought <laughs> back to the county seat and delivered to the, to the defense attorneys. They were happy, of course, as were the accused and their families. And, of course, the media, when word got out, I mean, the media had already been drawn to town because of the the. the the depravity of the story. Sure, sure. It's the kind of thing that excites people, you know, and that it had already made the national news. Oh yeah, even before the return of Connie Franklin. Right. And I mean, uh, it's a good story, right? There's, there's two. Uh, I mean, it's a, it was a heinous crime. I mean, guy and his fiance are on their yeah. way to get their marriage license and yeah. they're overtaken by baddies, beatings, yeah. rapes, burnings. It's, Burning it's alive. A, it's even. a good yeah. story. It's a yeah. It's a, it was, and so the media was already kind of all over this. But then when Connie returned to town. Oh my God! Then that's when things really got crazy, and apparently the the town of Mountain View, which is where the county courthouse was, mm-hmm. which is where the trial was supposed to take place, became the town became a circus. It was overrun with reporters and just curiosity seekers and stuff like that. You know, you know how it was back in those oh, yeah. days. Yeah. Oh, yeah, everybody came from far and wide because there wasn't much in the way of entertainment. There was no internet, no TV. You know, <laughs> uh, and so yeah, the national press descended like a murder of crows. And uh, it's it did shock the nation. Um, and it's really been said, too, that the stereotype of the Ozark Mountain people as depraved, illiterate morons kind of began with this story. Some people have said this, and I think there's something to that. Since Connie Franklin had, after all, risen from the dead, he was nicknamed the Arkansas Ghost in the media. Great name. Yeah. The uh, Arkansas Ghost story went viral, or at least, you know, whatever passed for virality in those days. <laughs> yeah. Quite the uh, story, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a pretty fascinating story. It'd be, it'd be pretty amazing if that happened today. I mean, it was, the world's different. Yeah. But yeah, just if a guy turned up at his own trial. Yeah, for murder. His, yeah. His, his murder trial. His yeah. own murder trial, yeah. So uh, some people weren't convinced that this new... Connie was the real Connie, or maybe it was his ghost. Some people thought it might have been a ghost. Yeah, that yeah. would be a twist. Uh, maybe someone had hired a ringer. Maybe. The sheriff was wondering that, too, so he set up a test. He recruited several girls who resembled Tiller Ruminer, and he put them in a room, along with Tiller herself. And then he asked Connie... Air quotes. Air quotes there. Uh, ...to pick her out, which he did without hesitation. Mm. Okay, so maybe he'd seen a photo of her. There might have been photos in the paper for all we know, right? Yeah. And Tiller, for her part, said that this guy was not the Connie that she'd known. But Connie knew all sorts of personal things about Tiller and their relationship. And she did have an incentive to lie because making a false police report like that is a crime. Yeah, maybe she thought if if it was false, she just thought Connie was gone. He wasn't coming back and and she'd get away with it. So Connie Connie says to her, remember them songs I sang to you when we sat beside the creek? (laughs) And Taylor says to him, says, okay, well, if you're Connie, let's hear you sing The Lonesome Pine. Which Connie did. And Connie does. And she does a a pretty creditable rendition of it. Mm -hmm. Then Taylor's dad, Charlie Ruminer, says, well, okay, let's hear you play Turkey in the Straw, the French harp. Mm-hmm. And Connie does that too, along with some other tunes, you know, just as well as the original Connie did. Man, so Classics. yeah, according to the, the according to the papers, uh, they seemed to, they seemed a bit unsure mm-hmm. at this point in time. Although later on, eventually, they decided the new Connie was 
Definitely, most definitely not the old Connie. What what made them decide this? I don't know. <laughs> Just his looks or whatever. I mean, I, I guess so. It's um, you know, I we'll we'll get into why it yeah. was it was so hard to it was so okay. hard to figure out if this was a real Connie or not. Okay. Public public opinion in town was pretty divided on the issue, but uh, you know it should be said that if Connie wasn't around that long. Not that many people had known him that well, frankly. Yeah, to be able that's to tell a good for point. Sure. Uh, many people swore the guy was Connie. Maybe said he was some, many said he wasn't. But the problem for the sheriff and the county prosecutor is that they really couldn't find anybody who had known Connie who didn't have an interest in the case on one side yeah, or the other. That makes sense. Yeah, so it was a tough one for that's them. How small towns are. Yeah. So rather than pull the plug on the case, the prosecutor decided the best way to resolve the issue is to let the jury decide. Mm-hmm. I want to hold on that for a moment. Yeah. The victim may not actually even be deceased, yeah. but they're going ahead with the murder trial. I mean, that's pretty spectacular. That's insane. Uh, Could you imagine that happening today? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, a defense attorney would definitely have a, have a good time with this whole thing. But Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to, to highlight that. That's That was really for me when I was reading the material you sent at first. I was like, that is crazy. Yeah, that's a crazy case. Right. So uh, the trial gets underway beginning on December 17th, 1929. And sitting at the prosecutor's table was Hugh Williamson, the county DA. The attorney for the defense was Ben Williamson, Hugh's brother. Uh-huh. Yeah. As you can imagine, the national press went nuts over that yeah. factoid. Yeah. One more reason to make fun of these silly Ozark people. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, along with the general straightness of a murder trial where the victim is, like, walking around. Maybe, potentially. at least. Yeah. Potentially, or I know. First day of the trial, Tiller gave some pretty dramatic testimony. She recounted how White, Younger, Greenway, and Hester ambushed them and beat Connie unconscious. They then mutilated his body. Uh, no details for that are available. Yeah. They built a large fire around him and put him on the fire even though he was still alive. She said the body rolled off the fire so the murderers had to rebuild it and put the body back on. And when it was done, the unburnt parts of Connie were put in a bag and tossed into the river. Hmm. Poor Connie. Prosecution placed the charred bones and teeth into evidence, but their case took a bit of a hit when the state health officer testified in a cross-examination that the bone fragments were too incomplete to be able to determine whether the bones were even human much less Connie Franklin's. Now, the record is not totally clear on this, but apparently there had been, originally in the remains, there was a shard of what appeared to be a human skull. Huh. Uh, and that piece of evidence had, partic- had apparently gone missing by the time of the trial. So without that shard of skull, uh, essentially there was no proof that these bones were even human. Yeah, but what about the teeth? Human teeth are pretty easy to identify compared to an animal. Yeah, well, a dentist uh, testified also. He had examined the teeth and said they were actually from a dog or perhaps a sheep. Wait, wait. I know. A dog or a sheep? <laughs> a dog or maybe a sheep. A dog or a sheep? Yeah. Then on day two, Connie Franklin took the stand as a defense witness. Uh, this was, as far as I know, the only time in U.S. history that somebody has testified at the trial for his own murder. It's, it's pretty groundbreaking, legally speaking. But according to Connie's testimony, he and his murderers got drunk on the night that he was allegedly murdered and headed to Mountain View to obtain a marriage license. Okay. And uh, Connie fell off his mule at some point. So because, of course, he was drunk and was injured badly enough that he probably bloodied his hat for one thing and also didn't get back to St. James Settlement that night. Uh, And that was his story. I mean, who knows? They were all drunk. Maybe they decided to go out and have a little bachelor party and... uh, 
did some improper things. You don't really know. But apparently he was expected back in town that night by Tiller. So the next day when he did get back, Tiller told him she was postponing the wedding until the fall. He threw down an ultimatum, which was, marry me now, today, or I'm leaving town. She said, meh. So he left town. And that was that. <laughs> so the prosecution argued that Connie was an imposter. This is a new Connie yeah, new altogether. Connie. Yeah. He also asked the jury, why would Tiller have made up a story like this? That's my question. Yeah, <laughs> good point. Uh, which would send several innocent men to the gallows. Why would she even do that? What did she have against them? Yeah, what would be the motive? Yeah. yeah, right. So the other three witnesses said the new Connie was an imposter. Tiller her dad, Charlie, and one Coleman Foster, who had known Connie. Coleman was also... um Tiller's cousin? Yep. Yeah, we're <laughs> yeah. cousins. I know. There's a lot of cousins Like I said, that's a problem with this problem with Yeah, this I mean, case. it's a small community. Let's yeah. give these people at least that much credit. Oh, yeah. Of the people who swore that Connie was not the real Connie, none really seemed to be unrelated to the accuser. Mm. So was Connie really Connie? Well, no. His real name, it turns out, was Marion Franklin Rogers. And he was about 10 years older than what he had told <laughs> Tiller. You mean he lied? He lied. <laughs> Said he was a younger man. Uh, yeah, he had a wife and kids, right? Uh, it turned out, yeah, yep. that was the case. And he had abandoned them. Oh, nice Oh, uh, And he'd uh, done some time in a mental hospital. Yeah. He had been committed in 1926 and escaped three months later. Uh, He'd been drifting around the state ever since. So this new Connie Franklin wasn't real then, right? No. Oh, no. Uh, Actually, he was ID'd as Marion Rogers through fingerprints and dental records. He was indeed Marion Rogers. But he said he had been traveling around since his escape from the mental institution under an alias of Connie Franklin, which kind of, I guess, makes sense. So he said that, yeah, even though even though I lied about my name, I really truly am the Connie Franklin you guys knew previously. Okay. I was just lying to you back then All right. about my past and about my real name. All right. And what's and notable is that uh, this is sort of ground, ground shaking for the case, uh, right. the prosecution's case. At this time, Tiller changed her story. She said that she had witnessed a beating, but now admitted that she hadn't actually seen a murder or seen Connie's body being burned. So that's kind of tough for the prosecution. It's a tough one. Yeah. The accused said that Tiller uh, accused them of rape and murder as payback for the raid on her family. Makes sense. Yeah. Actually, it could be argued that the entire story of Connie... Connie's murder was fruit of a conspiracy, and that conspiracy was just another chapter in a long-running feud. Yeah, well, if, maybe orchestrated by perhaps Bertha Burns, or at least she seemed to have had some role in this. Maybe whole thing. the yeah, maybe the room and her family and Bertha got together, decided they could pull this off. Yeah, it's hard to say. Um, yeah, it's been said the story had roots in a local moonshine war between the Hess clan on one side and the Youngers and Greenaways on the other side. Kind of, kind of feels that way. Uh, I mean, I, I, I not. Yeah, I'm feeling there's a big old backstory here that we never heard about, right? It does feel like we're witness, like this whole trial is the tip of a big iceberg, mm-hmm. and that there's probably going to be more in here we don't even know about. Oh uh, yeah. So presented with these weird and conflicting stories, probably the same thoughts that we're having right now. Yeah. The jury they couldn't decide; they were dead. Yeah. The judge, the Honorable Marcus Bone, great name, as a great name for a judge. Yeah. Informed them that the county had already spent an ungodly amount of money on this case and they god well god well damned come to a verdict one way or the other so they voted for acquittal yeah that's probably not a bad choice that does that's probably what i'd vote although hester and greenaway were held over for trial on charges of rape but those charges were dropped a year later uh, i wonder why hmm. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it was a very credible 
No, not accusation, credible. Unfortunately, yeah, the mystery lives on, though. I hear the the story of the Arkansas ghost is still a big topic of debate in Stone County, Arkansas. Everybody involved is long dead, of course, so we'll never know for sure what actually happened. Was there actually a murder? It's hard to say, but I suspect that there was not. Mm-hmm. Well, as the prosecution said, of course, it's hard to believe that Tiller Ruminer would make up such a heinous story. But on the other hand, people do make false accusations from time to time. Sure. And certainly the fact that she changed her story mid-trial is sufficient reason to question all of it, I think. Yeah. And I also have to say the depravity of the crime as she describes it makes it a little hard to believe. I mean, the guys that these guys were, they were vigilantes, they were jerks, they were violent to a certain extent, but it doesn't sound to me like they ever committed anything more heinous than basically a kind of a, a, a beating. You know, that's actually yeah. the, the exact thought that I had was that if you're going to kill a man, yeah. rape his fiance, yeah. and burn him to death while yeah. still alive, it's probably not like your first rodeo. Yeah, probably not. You know, no. That's not where you start now. Yeah. That's where you build up to over time. Yeah. Well, so was Marion Rogers the original Connie Franklin? Again, this is hard to say. I mean, Franklin was not in St. James long enough for very many people to get to know him, as I mentioned before. Everybody involved had some bias. Lots of people said he wasn't the same guy. Lots said he uh, said that uh, you know, he was. A lot of the people that said he wasn't the same man really seemed to dislike the accused men. And so, yeah, confusion reigns. My conclusion is that Marion Rogers was probably the original Connie Franklin who showed right. up in the early 1929. But I wouldn't bet my life on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it probably was. But yeah, I think so. It might actually be the case that Franklin was brutal, actually brutally murdered in March 1929. Marion Rogers was an imposter. Uh, maybe Tiller changed her story mid-trial because friends of the accused somehow got to her, put the fear of God into her. Or maybe not. I don't know. I think part of what this hangs on is the, the bone pile. Yeah. I mean, if those really were dog or sheep bone, I guess, because those are easy yeah. to confuse, then, um, you know, then I would be inclined to, to go your way. If those bones had turned out to be human, which an expert even then could have told you, even though, I mean, this is Arkansas yeah. in the 20s. They um, still had a few experts. Yeah. If if mm. they had that, or even if you know, they're around somewhere today, which they're probably not. Oh, I doubt it. Then... Um, I I would and they turned out to be human. I would be inclined to say somebody got killed that night. Maybe. And that person was likely whoever Connie Franklin was. Yeah. Uh whether that was his real name, whether that was an assumed name. That again, yeah, that again, you know, again you gotta like looking at the whole thing. I mean, um Bertha Burns had a grudge against these accused men who had beaten her yep. husband. The room in her family had a grudge. And she you know, she was the one who led law enforcement to this pile of bones and ashes and teeth and stuff. And so maybe she just thought, you know, hey, I mean, I mean, forensic science isn't what it's going to be in 50, 60 years. <laughs> ha ha ha. Cause I, yeah, but, and so I'll just, I'll just throw a bunch of sheep and dog bones into a pile, burn them, crunch them up so that they're just unrecognizable and, and, and lie to the police. Maybe she, maybe that's what she did. That's, I find that as easy to believe, if not easier to believe. The only yeah. problem I have with that is that conspiracies are hard to maintain. Yeah. I mean, we've seen that in the research we've done. You can listen to other podcasts, read books about mm-hmm. it. This requires a lot of co-conspirators, right? So you've well, got Bertha and her husband. you got the room and her family. Yeah. 
But what if it was entirely orchestrated by Bertha? She just manipulated the other people around her. And once she once she talked Tiller into into basically telling this story, she kind of had her on the hook because okay. Tiller couldn't go back on it. She that's that's kind of like that's true. She, she'd be yeah. in there. She'd be well. Yeah. It's not perjury. It's a report false reporting of a crime or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Pretty, they yeah, can carry it, a pretty yeah. harsh penalty. Uh, it should really. I mean, you could, yeah, yeah. Especially waste, something waste like time. something I mean, they, like this, you waste not only time and money. Judge people, Bone said it cost them a lot of money. Yeah, it did. Apparently, it broke the uh, broke the county's budget that year. Oh uh, God. Yeah. So uh, you know, throw one more theory out at you though. Yeah. What's just that? Why, just while we're talking, what if those were human bones in there, but they weren't? Whoever Connie Franklin yeah. slash Marion Rogers was, what if Bertha killed somebody and this was her plan to cover it up? That's a good possibility too. You know, there's, there's all kinds of reasons to burn a body. I mean, some people, not everybody buries their bodies. Maybe somebody thought, you know, I will burn them like uh, burn them like our ancient ancestors did. That's Maybe true. this person died of something uh, something infectious, and they just thought, okay, let's burn the body. No, it's uh, true. And then also yeah. you get. You know, I, I I just this is just popping in my head, but you know, this is during prohibition. Yeah. If moonshiners were out there moonshining and one of them died for one reason or the other, yeah. The last thing you want to do is call the coroner. Yeah, that's a possibility. Might be how they did. Yeah. So there's uh yeah, there's I mean they, this is back not even in Arkansas, but in all kinds of places around oh, yeah. America. Things there wasn't so much paperwork mm-hmm. once somebody died as there is today. Nope. So there's a rumor that Judge Marcus Bone, again, because of all of this negative publicity, ordered all of the records from the trial destroyed. <laughs> yeah, I know. I love it. Except for the ones that he was legally obligated to keep. So Not that's why there are a lot of questions about the Arkansas ghost, is that that's we can't a, just pull up these. Uh, we can't just go look up these things because. Right. Uh, yeah. And also, you know, even if he didn't do that, uh, things have a way of disappearing. Um, you know, I was uh, there was another case I was researching where there was some stuff that had just been swapped. Wiped out of the out of the county records. Well, there's but, that, uh, and there's and, you know, like I'm there's a podcast that I follow, and they're trying to get old court records from you know just from the 90s. Yeah, but they're they've been stored improperly. They're covered in mildew. Yeah, and you know this is only from the you know from 1996. Well, I know, right? I so know. if you've stored them improperly in a place where water is leaking, where there's mold and mildew, yeah, and you play that out over 80, 90 years, oh yeah, well. Good yeah, luck. Yeah. Then they're gone. Yeah. They're, they're dissolved altogether. And it actually really is a problem in our country how we have all of these civil and legal records that are just not properly being stored and are decaying, mm-hmm. making it harder to know about Although, older cases and, and, and filings. Well, the, the plus side, though, is that, you know, if you if you were convicted of a crime yourself, then, hey, maybe the record is sort of just naturally being expunged. <laughs> no, it's true. Yeah. I would love to hear, like, a 90-year-old convict's feelings yeah. on that, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know any. Well, back to our story here, speaking, yeah. speaking of Marion Rogers, what happened to him? Yeah. Well, after the trial, uh, he left town again, resumed his itinerant lifestyle. In 1932, though, he was found lying by the side of a road, half dead, and he died two days later of appendicitis and exposure. Tiller Ruminer went on to get married, had some kids, and beyond that, she just sort of dropped back into obscurity, and I know no more of what happened to her. Yeah. So... Also, the tiny hamlet of Red Stripe. Oh, yeah. Awesome you know, name. That's a great name. Yeah. Uh, it's where the uh, murder supposedly took place. Or it's, nearby, anyway. Yeah, yeah. On, on the road to it or outside yeah. of it. Uh, it's still there. But after the trial, they changed their name to Pleasant Grove because of all the negative publicity. Wow. Nice. I like it. Yeah, you can find it. It's still there. You just type in Pleasant Grove. In yeah. Google and it pops right up. Uh, yeah, actually, I did yeah. that. And I found it's actually not super far from where a friend of mine grew up. Oh, really? Yeah. Which is from that area. Uh, the governor of Arkansas publicly announced 
now suppress for their behavior and said that they had made the citizens of North Arkansas out to be hayseeds and idiots. As I said earlier, the story really does appear to have had a cultural impact uh, in, in cementing the image of rural America as backward and ignorant in the minds of city dwellers with a special place reserved for the hillbillies of the Ozark who really were described in the national papers as depraved, illiterate morons. Yeah. Uh, there is a there was a guy um, named Brooks Blevins. He um, is, is or was at least a professor at uh, University of Missouri. Okay. Or no, excuse me, Missouri State University. All right. He wrote a book about this case called Ghosts of the Ozarks and I read an article that he wrote about this as well. I wanted to quote from this real quick, like, um, okay. talks about uh, the writing of one Kansas City journalist who went into, t- went into town and basically sent out reports that were picked up by papers all across the nation. All right. On November, here's a quote now from Brooks Blevins. On November 28th, 1929, the, the Journal Post banner headline set the tone for the weeks to follow. Quote, Ozark murder reveals system of peonage. Barons said to be back of brutal crime, unquote. Secrets went on to spin a tale of feudal oppression and privilege in an Ozark land of illiteracy and violence. A place whose inhabitants, quote, knowledge of Christmas is almost as limited as their idea of what Thanksgiving is intended to convey, unquote. In an isolated hamlet called St. James, a cabal of baronial families ruled with, quote, the hickory stick and the squirrel rifle, unquote. I mean, that's just, that's just a pretty um, um, heinous charges against the entire community, the entire county, the entire state really i mean you know and this was picked up again and reprinted in papers all around america i mean that's one way to frame it but i think you know you're 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 laying bare a pretty a pretty terrible bias these are hard-working farmers who are poor like that yeah they're poor they're poor and they don't have the best education and they probably are doing some mean moonshining but they're trying to get by yeah i mean yeah you know you could easily just flip that 180 degrees, talking about the same people doing the same things. Now, all of a sudden, they're salt of the earth, hardworking, agricultural Americans. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, this is like, I don't know if, uh, you know, I mean, in a sense, this kind of comes down to like basic human nature, which is that we all want to have somebody that we can look down our noses at. Exactly. It's totally true, true, right? I mean, yeah, we've all got to, I mean, so you're living in the city and maybe you don't have the best job. You're not that rich yourself. You live in a crappy neighborhood, but there's somebody. Right. There's somebody, you know, who's just worse than you are. Somebody up in the mountains playing a French harp. Uh huh. Yeah. So here's a question for you. Okay. Would Deliverance have been written and would the movie Deliverance have been made? Yeah. If this incident had not taken place, you know? I mean, yeah. Well, okay. So like, like I was saying earlier, uh, you know, what did I, uh, yeah, other than Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton, what did I know about Arkansas? Yeah. Jimmy Carter's from Georgia, actually. Oh, he's from Georgia. Yeah. Right. So yeah, that's Bill Clinton. Yeah. And, and actually Hillary, Hillary is not even a product of Arkansas. Hillary is from she, Chicago. Is that where I she's think. from? Yeah, I, think, okay. I think it was Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. No, so. she's not an Arkansas person. She didn't like Arkansas very much. Apparently not. And uh, uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Bill, so, so prior to Bill Clinton, what as is a young man, what the heck did I even know about what went on in Arkansas? Mm-hmm. I knew one thing, deliverance. Yeah. Deliverance yeah. was the one thing. That's kind of the impression of, and, and, and so, you know, people like you and me, we, that's what we know about these people as deliverance well people back in the, in the year 1929 the one thing they knew about these people was the the arkansas ghost yeah and all these depraved morons <laughs> they're murderous depraved ways. morons it kind of yeah. has the, you know the story of like a you know you can picture that sort of the archetype of like a, a country kangaroo court yeah you know hell yeah. you're on trial for the murder of connie franklin who's sitting, sitting right, right there, there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, it I, really doesn't paint them in a good light it's it is uh yeah 
Yeah, it is a yeah. It's just strange all the way around. I I can't blame these people for being embarrassed a little bit. But, yeah. yeah, no, they it's not much to be embarrassed about though, because when you think about it, I mean, there's so many dumbass stories out there in, in human history, well, all over this, all over the world, and you know, they're they're not that special. You know, you know the thought I had, Joe. Yeah. Uh, reading about this thing about you know, deliverance and Arkansas and stuff is, yeah. you know, how many people are in the exact reverse thing, right? So like, you're yeah. from somewhere in Oregon. Right? Yeah, from some farming community in, in Eastern Oregon, from yeah. Boardman, let's say. Yeah, and uh, you meet somebody from out of state, and what do they know? They know Portlandia. Yeah, so they assume you're like a hipster with a handlebar mustache and a top hat. Pretty much, and you're yeah. like, no, like I work on a watermelon farm, or I'm a, yeah, you know, I, I work at the the port, or I'm yeah. I'm down there doing wheat or something, wheat and potatoes. Yeah, uh, no, I know people. Well, people like you know that you know I'm from Portland. I live in Portland, and people assume that I'm on board with all the general you know, Portlandiness and I ride a bike and I'm a hipster, you know, and all this stuff. No, not actually. Actually, I'm not, uh, not exactly the stereotypical. No. And neither are most people, which yeah. I mean, yeah. So one stereotypes are generally like totally inaccurate, right? Uh, so, like, quite often. But then also a story, whether it's a true story or whether it's a, you know, it's a narrative of some kind can, can paint people with a, with a brush. That's not always fair to them. That's not always no. the whole story. It's not fair. And these people had, uh, and, they, and they have had since, They've had very little in the way of a voice to, yeah. to counteract this whole thing. It's and there's true. been there's been just no end of people, you know, writing stories about them and making fun of them. Right. And right. If, if one of these people wanted to write a book making fun of New Yorkers, well, who would publish it and who would read it? So, That's you know, it's question. been a one-sided fight, really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. no. Yeah. No, it's kind of too bad, which I think is, is too bad because there could be a city with a cool name like Red Stripe. I know, but Red Stripe had to go away, and that's yep. sad. But and back in Stone County, Arkansas, the legend of the Arkansas ghost lives on, mm-hmm. even if none of the rest of us have heard about it. Well, you've yeah. heard about it now. And that's another story, another week. So uh, we will see you next time. Please stay tuned. We've got a few important facts to tell you. And otherwise, we'll see you next week. All right. Thanks a lot. This has been The Shocking Details. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. If you'd like to get a hold of us, you can send us an email at theshockingdetailspodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out our website. That's www.theshockingdetails.com. We're on Twitter. That would be at Shocking Details. And, of course, we're also on Facebook. Go to Facebook.com slash groups slash Shocking Details Podcast. Until next week, toodaloo.